today we're starting a brand new series called The Art of Being Unordinary. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 17 and 18, but today we're just looking at the first 10 verses of 17. Now, before we begin, I want to give you a general outline of what Jesus is going to talk about because there's a lot packed in there and it's easier to follow if you knew what was coming up next. So right here in this section, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he tells them four things. So in the first section, Jesus gives his disciples, that's us Christians, he gives the church instructions on how to treat the people who are outside of the church. And then in section two, he talks about how we have to treat one another, basically the people who are inside the church, the brothers and sisters. Then in section three, Jesus gives us the how, like how we ought to do that, how we should accomplish this. And in this last section, part four, he's going to tell us like indicators of knowing if we're actually on the right track or not. So let's begin from verse one, chapter 17. So let's get started. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Okay, so this is a very strong start by Jesus. So there's a few questions. Number one, what does it mean to cause somebody to stumble? And number two, who are these little ones that Jesus is talking about? So let's start with the second question. Now, if you read this in context, what I mean is if you start from Luke chapter 14 and read all the way to 17, then you'll see that the little ones that he's talking about here are the people who are pushed to the side. We're talking about not just little ones like children. We're talking about the poor, the people who are, are pushed to the fringes. We're talking about uh, people who are sick. So let's get back to the first question. What does stumble mean? Now, the word stumble in the Greek, original language that this was written in, the word is scandala. And scandala doesn't necessarily mean bad things. So what they're talking about here is anything that might cause somebody to stumble, good or bad. So with that understanding, let's read that back into the text that we just read. It goes like this. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble, whether if it's something good or bad, are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones, these prostitutes, these people who are sick, these people who are poor, these people who are pushed to the fringes uh, to stumble, whether if it's a good thing or a bad thing. So put in the context that this was written, this is what Jesus means by that. At that time, there were a group of religious people called the Pharisees. And these Pharisees would do their religious practices. Now, these are not necessarily bad things. They may be good things. But those religious practices are causing these people who are on the fringes, who are saying, I want to come and join the kingdom of God. It keeps, them, it, it keeps them at bay. So when these religious people are walking around touting how holy they are, it causes these people who are on the fringes to feel like they don't belong in the kingdom of God. Or when these religious people compares themselves to how, like, I am so good compared to that tax collector. When they do stuff like that, it causes these people to stumble. Maybe a better way to put it in today's context would be how many people who are outside the church have stumbled on the account of Christians being too judgmental? How many people on the fringes felt like they can't come in because we are too busy touting how moral we are and how the world is immoral? The people who want to partake in the kingdom of God, they feel like they have to jump over the, all these obstacles, these scandalous, in order to get to know Jesus. And Jesus says, that is not good. So if you were to take all the teachings in the New Testament about how we're supposed to deal with the people who are outside the church, this is what Jesus is saying here. 
He's saying the only opinion that you, as a follower of Jesus, is allowed to have about a person who is outside a church is just one, and that is whatever God's opinion of that person is. Now, there is one exception to that rule, which is if that person has invited you to give your personal opinion about that person's life, then you can speak into that person's life. But as far as in general, if you were to give an opinion about that person, you're only allowed to have the opinion of God. And what is God's opinion of the people who are outside the church? What is God's opinion about these strangers that you barely know? Well, look at the cross. God believes that that person's life was worth dying for. Do not be an obstacle for the people who are outside the church to join the kingdom of God. They are very important people in God's eyes, and we're not allowed to have any other opinion but God's when it comes to that person's life. So the summary of the first point that Jesus is trying to make here is this. Don't be a stumbling block. Don't be an obstacle for those people who are outside the church to enter into the kingdom of God. So let's go into the second section. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Okay, so this is Jesus' teaching for the people inside the church. Now, before we dive into this, I want to set the stage because there's some things that are different from what church looked like 2,000 years ago to what it looks like today. Back in those days, churches were usually a small group of people. Maybe at its largest, it's like 12 or maybe 15 people. So think of it as like a small group or a life group. And so the early church had a term for their community. They called themselves a covenant community. That means they all made a vow to God saying, we will follow God no matter what. And they also made a vow to each other saying, no matter what happens, we have each other's backs. So you could imagine that back then, it's very common that when somebody were to kind of start straying from the path that they took a vow to be on, that the rest of the people in that community will try to call them back into that group. So let me give you an example. Let's just say in my life group, we all made a covenant for each other saying, hey, I got your back no matter what. And then one day we had this talk about how we need to be better with our money. That maybe, let's just say I'm in a large debt and I said, hey, life group, would you do everything you can to keep me in line? And then a few weeks later, I forget about that covenant and I, and I tell everybody in my life group, hey guys, I got this amazing TV, a hundred inch um, OLED, 4K TV, and it's this thin. And I'm just bragging about it to my life group. In the meantime, everybody in my life group is thinking, oh, Kotz must have forgotten. He forgot that covenant that we made together. Then one of them gets the courage and taps him on the shoulder, pulls me aside, and one-on-one -on -one says, hey Kotz, I don't know if you remember, but there was this covenant we made, and I wanna make sure that you remember it. Now, because this is a covenant relationship, even though I didn't do anything to hurt them, they would consider this a broken promise. And so I would have to ask them for forgiveness. Now, when I ask them to forgive me, it's not an apology. The word apology is not used here. The word that's used here is the word repent. Repent is action. So what I'm actually doing here is, I'm not just saying, hey, I'm so sorry that I did this. I'm actually gonna go home, pack up the TV, and return it back to Costco or wherever I bought it from. And if I do that, my covenant community, they have to forgive me. And if I were to do that next week, they have to forgive me again. But I would have to do the same thing. I would have to go back to Costco and return my TV. And that's basically the thing that happens over and over and over again. Now, what if the thing that I did was not buying a TV, but it was actually something that hurt the community? 
At that point, what Jesus teaches us is that I would have to repent, meaning I have to take action to show everybody that I'm headed in the direction of being reconciled. And every time I do it, you, the Christians, have to forgive me. And if I do it seven times, you have to forgive me seven times. I mean, this is not easy because every time I wrong you, you get hurt. And every time you forgive me, you feel like you lose a part of yourself. Can you imagine how hard that is? Can you imagine feeling like you're being taken advantage of? That I keep doing the wrong things over and over and over again and in your mind you're thinking, here we go again, I have to forgive Kotz again. Is he ever gonna learn his lesson? So let's recap so far. In part one, Jesus said, if there's a stranger, make sure you have the same opinion that you have about that person as God does. Do not be a scandal, a stumbling block for that person to come into the kingdom. And then the second part, Jesus says, if somebody in your group, if somebody in your covenant community wrongs you, you have to keep forgiving them if they show that they are willing to change their direction and make it, try to make it work. Now, Jesus just gave us two commands that is so hard for us because you feel like you're being taken advantage of. I mean, like you're like, can I really do this? But don't worry because you're not alone because check out what the disciples say in response to these two things. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. That's their way of saying, with who we are right now, there's no way we could do those two things, Jesus. Are you kidding us? Now that leads us to the third section, which is how we're supposed to accomplish this. That's in verse six. So Jesus replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Now, what does Jesus mean by this? The first thing we have to understand is that when Jesus thought of his movement, his kingdom life that he's trying to promote here, he's bringing something new. He wasn't trying to rehash the old stuff that was in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, people would have to follow a bunch of rules. In the New Testament, when Jesus is starting this new thing, he wants everybody to know that his kingdom is not about following rules. It's actually about being transformed from the inside so that you will start following these rules naturally. So when the apostles say, increase our faith, this is their way of saying, you need to transform us, Jesus. Who we are right now is not capable of doing what you just asked us to do. And as a side note, a mulberry tree in Palestine or in Israel back then was known to be the plant with the deepest roots. So Jesus is using hyperbole here again. He's saying, if you had faith of a mustard seed, which was known to be one of the smallest seeds in, in that area, he says, if you have the smallest faith that you can even, even possibly imagine, you're able to, with that little faith, you're able to uproot the deepest of roots and have it planted in the sea instead. Okay, so, so this is the cool part. Jesus is saying, if you keep asking that question, if you have that same attitude, if you keep saying, this is impossible, keep changing us, Jesus, transform me from the inside. Can you be my cornerstone? Can you do something in my life that would change who I am? He's like, if you keep that same mentality, then these two commands I just gave you, that'll be a walk in the park. You'll be able to accomplish even greater things than that. One day you're gonna be asked to do something even more impossible than, than having a positive opinion about the people who are outside the church or, or forgiving your brothers and sisters a bajillion times. One day you're gonna be asked to lay your life down for somebody. One day you're gonna be asked to make a decision that you, would, that the you of 10 years ago would consider impossible. But if you keep asking God to transform you from the inside out, oh boy, you're gonna have this amazing experience because you're gonna be able to do these things without even thinking. So that's the how. How do we accomplish these commands, these seemingly impossible commands? He says, keep trusting in Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit change you. 
And if you let him keep doing that in your life, if you keep saying, God, give us faith, God, keep changing us, then one day, gradually, without even knowing it, you're going to realize that you've grown past just these two things. You're going to be able to do more amazing things. And now we come to the final section. How do we know we're on the right path? So let's take a look. Verse 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down and eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Wouldn't he say that? Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. So Jesus is pointing his aim right now at the Pharisees. He's telling the disciples, in this story, the servants are the Pharisees. When God, the master, tells the Pharisees to do something, um, they expect to be thanked or they expect to get bonus points for doing what they're supposed to do. They go out there and flaunt their holiness, expecting God to say, wow, look at that holy person walking down the street. Bonus points for you, Mr. Pharisee. Like He says, that's the Pharisee's attitude. When you do something good, when you do something that God expects you to do, you don't expect God to say, good job, bonus points for you, because you're just doing what's naturally you. You see, the Pharisees, they did these good things because they wanted to be a child of God. But he says, no, you, followers of Jesus, you don't do things because you want to be a child of God. You do things because you are a child of God. You don't do things because you want to earn something from God. You're doing things because you are with God. So this is how you know if you are on the right track. Every time you do something good, something seemingly impossible, like forgiving somebody that's unforgivable, or having a good opinion about somebody who's on the outside, if you're expecting God to be smiling upon you and that He is applauding you, that you are one step closer to being approved by God, then you're on the wrong track. However, if you're doing these things because you're just, that's just who you are, then Jesus says, congratulations, you're on the right track, stay on that course. This is Jesus' way of telling his disciples, God is changing you from the inside out so you can be the ones that love on the people. You'll be doing these things just because that is who you are. So Jesus is saying, this is what it looks like to be a kingdom person who is bringing heaven on earth. And yes, that looks unordinary. As you journey with Jesus, you'll become more and more like him. You're no longer judging people for their actions. You're now seeing them as God sees them. You're no longer holding grudges against people who have wronged you. Instead, you're forgiving them over and over and over again because you want the best for them. So if you look at this progression that Jesus is teaching us, he basically says, love on the people on the outside, love on the people on the inside. And the way you're gonna do that is by being transformed on the inside of who you are. And the way you know that you are being transformed is that you don't feel like you're owed anything from God by doing these things. God is calling all of us to this unordinary life. And through that life, we are able to change the world one relationship at a time. So, brothers and sisters, may God continue to transform our hearts from the inside out so we look more and more like Jesus. And may you continue to love the people around you at unordinary levels because that is who God wants you to be. And may we all experience heaven together. God bless.